My reading this evening is taken from Exodus chapter 25, uh, and then we'll read a few verses from 26. Exodus chapter 25. This is what God says. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze. Blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Goat hair. Ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood. Olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Then over to 26, chapter 26, verse 1. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same at the end curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end of the other set with the loops opposite each other. Then take fifty gold, then make fifty gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Make curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, eleven altogether. Amen, and we know God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Since starting the study of the tabernacle. We've had a fair old bit of crisscrossing through the chapters of Exodus. We started in chapter 24 with the Ark of the Covenant because that's where God starts with himself. Then we followed the path man has to take to get to God through the gate in chapter 27 verses 9 to 19. And then the following time we went, we had to go back to chapter 27 verses 1 to 8 when we came to the brazen altar, the place of sacrifice. From the altar we came to the labor, the place of cleaning, uh, cleansing, and then we had to jump to chapter 30. And from the labor we traveled through the door of the tabernacle and to the curtain uh, into the holy place. So back again to chapter 26. Once into the holy place, we considered the golden articles of furniture. So we had to go back further to chapter 25, verse 20, 23 to 30. And we, we, we studied the, 
the table of showbread representing communion and fellowship. On the left was the lampstand, obviously a picture of Jesus as the light of the world, but that was in chapter 25, 31 to 40. But then we jumped again forward to chapter 30, verse 1 to 10, to consider the golden altar of incense, which lay straight ahead of the priest as he went through the door of the tabernacle, and which represented the prayers of the saints to those uh, and those of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. Now you remember the brazen altar and the laver were situated outside in the tabernacle courtyard, but the golden articles of furniture were inside the tabernacle itself. Think of how Moses must have felt as he heard the sound of God's voice thundering from Mount Sinai as he told the Israelites his law. Then he called Moses, still in that booming voice, so that the Israelites could hear him as he spoke to Moses and made him his leader. Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And off he went. And when he got to a certain point, we are told the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Can you imagine Moses sitting there in silence? Maybe he lay down for a while. Maybe he paced up and down. But all the time he must have been filled with awe and a bit of fear as he sat waiting for God to speak. And then in Exodus chapter 25 verse 1 to 5, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Goat hair. Ramskin dyed red. And another type of durable leather. And acacia wood. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among them. God wasn't booming now. God was speaking to Moses face to face. Man to man. The God of Israel had redeemed them from the bondage of Egypt. He revealed his glory to them in the thunder and lightning at Mount Sinai. He gave them his law. I have redeemed you, therefore this is what you've got to do. He called Moses up to meet him and told him he was going to dwell in their midst. Moses was given a lot to do. Sometimes it would be too much for him. But what joy... An encouragement that must have been when God showed him the plans for the tabernacle that he was supposed to build for the God of the universe. Nothing was left for Moses' imagination. Nothing was left for Moses to tinker with. God revealed to him in minute detail how the tabernacle was to be built. And we are told Moses made it according to the pattern. If you want to live your life according to God, live it according to the pattern. There are five names for the tabernacle in Exodus. It's called the sanctuary. 
in Exodus chapter 5 I read a minute ago. And as I said this morning, sanctuary comes from Kadosh, to sanctify or to set apart for God. Secondly, it's a tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25, telling us that it was a dwelling place for God who had condescended to come down and dwell with his chosen people. In chapter 26, it's called a tent, meaning it was only a temporary dwelling for God. Chapter 29, it's called the tabernacle of the congregation because that's where God met with his people. He communed with them. He gave them instruction, judged them. And lastly, it's called the tabernacle of the testimony in Exodus chapter 38. It's where God gave them his law, which was written on the two tablets of stone and kept in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. For 500 years, the tabernacle served as the place for God to dwell among his people and a place where his people could commune with God. Although the tabernacle made God accessible to his people, they couldn't come to him in any old way, any old fashion that suited them. They had to approach him in holiness through a blood sacrifice and a mediating priest. It's all typical of the Lord Jesus Christ who left his throne in heaven, condescended to dwell with man as a man and live like us, except without sin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or tabernacled among us. And then Christ we have that very blood sacrifice to redeem us. And we have access to God through Jesus as our great high priest, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. And then we come to chapter 26, and the detailed instruction of the tabernacle where God would make his presence known to his people. Again, God tell Moses to make the tabernacle from the inside moving towards the outside, just as he started with the Ark of the Covenant and not the brazen altar. He starts with himself. The first curtain or set of curtains was of white, fine linen. And into the linen was embroidered cherubim. The curtains were basically white and the colors were used to highlight the shape or the the implication of, of cherubim. They were to be made by hands of a skilled craftsman who was different from an embroiderer or an ordinary weaver. The skilled craftsman made his design into the curtain at a loom in just a way you would make a tapestry. Whereas an embroidery, an embroiderer would add to the pattern by use of needle and thread. The cherubim were to be seen on the inner surface of the curtain. As the curtain was thrown over the tabernacle, the the, the cherubim were on the bottom side. Meaning that when it was spread over the boards of the tabernacle from side to side, the cherubim were facing down. And that meant that when the priest went into the holy place, and and the high priest went into the holy of holies, 
when they looked up with the light of the lampstand shining in, the, in that compartment, they would see the bright white linen and the cherubim and they would know that God is near. You remember when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended into the heavens. He returned to the glory he had left before he came to earth. And when you read Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, when John was taken into heaven in this vision, he saw the glory and the majesty of Jesus on the throne. And he heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands times ten thousand. And in a loud voice they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now the priest in the tabernacle on earth never saw that. But still he was reminded of the power and the wealth and the strength and the honor and the glory and praise that was in that room. He knew he was in the presence of God. First of all, in verse 1, Moses was told to make the tabernacle with ten white curtains of finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. They were to be 28 cubits or 42 feet long by 4 cubits or 6 feet wide. They were to take five curtains and couple them together so that the overall width of the curtain was 30 feet. And when you put the two sets of curtains together, you get 60 feet by 42 feet. They were made from finely twisted linen, not ordinary linen, but finely twisted linen. And these spotless curtains pointed to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his holiness. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, the Holy Spirit explained the meaning of the fine linen. He says, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The main idea there is that she was spotless. She was unsullied, and her righteousness was seen to be pure. But notice the contrast of Isaiah Chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Before you were saved, God looked on your heart, and that's what he saw. When we are measured against divine holiness, even the very best efforts of sinners are comparable only to filthy rags. So this fine linen typifies the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. And the wonder is, when he died on the cross, your sin was laid on him and his righteousness was put to your account. That's why Paul, Paul proudly declares in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why we can sing my favorite hymn. You're not getting your way with your own. Charles Wesley's wonderful hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? An interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me? 
in verse 4. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke. The dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Amen. Praise the Lord. You are going through, I've gone through the same thing. But then there's that wonderful verse in number five. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. And that, as I said this morning, that all in him is his grace. And every blessing Christ and Christ that comes from it. And the thing that the song finishes, alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. That's how I stand before God this evening. His righteousness, not mine. I could only offer filthy rags, but now I confidently stand before God clothed in the fine linen of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that this white linen, this clean white linen, curtain was draped over the tabernacle. They were the first curtains to be placed and formed a ceiling in the holy place and right across the holy of holies. This was God's dwelling place. And wonder of wonders, the priests were allowed in as long as he had a sample of blood in his hand and his clothes were clean. Only then could he claim to be in the presence of God. When God saved you, you come into a kingdom of priests and, and kings because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only reason you can come into the presence of God. Because Jesus died on the cross, shedding his blood for you and me. And now you're dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, you're invited into the presence of God to commune with him and to have fellowship with him and to sing his praises. But it wasn't just white linen. Embroidered into the curtain was blue, purple and scarlet yarn. And even the colors speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blue is a heavenly color. In Exodus chapter 24, God called Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, along with 70 elders to go up the Mount Sinai. And as they went up, they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. The blue on the white background tells us that the one who came down to earth was none other than the Lord from heaven. It's interesting to go through the Gospels looking for the blue in Jesus' life, looking for the, the, the heavenly part of him. Connections he has with heaven before his birth. Jesus the angels were sent to Mary and Joseph with the information that the child would be that would be born was none other than the Son of God. That's the blue, the connection with heaven. On the night of his birth, the angels were sent from God to tell the shepherds that the Christ had been born. The Messiah God had promised through his prophets, even as far back as the Garden of Eden. The wise men came later and they worshipped the child and presented gifts 
fit for a king. Even as a child, the events in his life pointed to the blue. When he grew, he was lost in the temple, you remember. And when his parents found him, the elders of the temple were astonished at his understanding. As he spoke with Nicodemus, he spoke of himself as the son of man which is in heaven. You like this, Andrew? Charles Henry McIntosh was a brethren teacher in the mid to late 1800s. He was a dispensationalist. Now we all know what that means. But his knowledge of Christ and his writings are well worth a read. He wrote about Christ in the blue, the connection he had with heaven. This is what he said. Though he was very man, he ever walked in the uninterrupted consciousness of his proper dignity as a heavenly stranger. He never forgot where he came from, where he was, and where he was going. The source of all his joys was on high. Earth could never make him richer or poorer. He found this world to be a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So his spirit could only find refreshment from above. Could we say the same? Or we get refreshed Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Tuesday evening, whatever, you go to your quiet time. Can you honestly say it every time you go? You sit down with God's word and you're refreshed. The purple was symbolic of royalty. Remember when he was given the, when he was uh, given to the Roman soldiers to be flogged and mocked before his death? They shared their scorn of our Israel's king by going through a, a mock coronation. They cruelly placed on his head a crown of thorns and dressed him in a purple robe. Time and again, we see the purple in his life. Go back to the wise men. They brought gifts and asked, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, claimed, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he saw Jesus, he cried, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went uh, uh, up a mountain. And when he was seated, he called his disciples to him. Symbolically, he was the king, taking his place on his throne and giving his subjects the laws of the kingdom in the in the, the Mount, uh, the parable, all the stories on the Mount, what's it called? The Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, Rodney. <laughs> in Matthew, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went on that mountain and he was the king. He was the one who was teaching his people what he expected. And then, when he was on the cross, the sign they put above his head on the orders of Pontius Pilate was, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Of course, it was mockery, but never was a truer statement made. And he's still the king. The purple talks of his royalty. He's still the king of kings. The scarlet isn't really hard to understand. It has several meanings in Scripture, but there is an emblemat- it's emblematic of Jesus' suffering. 
Not only on the cross. In that day, the scarlet dye came from a worm that was crushed and the blood was used to dye cloth. You remember in Psalm 22, the psalmist starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. This man was in agony. And then in verse 6 he writes, But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And that's the connection with the scarlet. Jesus suffered. The Lord who knew no sin went to the cross and death, crushed under the wrath and judgment of God. His blood was shed to put away your scarlet sins. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But scarlet is also used as an emblem of glory. And you go back again to Psalm 22. The first part describes the Savior's suffering. But in the closing verses, they proclaim his victory and authority for a day to come. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. There's victory and glory. Read Psalm 22 when you go home tonight and join in the praise. Another glimpse of the, the scarlet was when Jesus took Peter, James and John up Mount Olivet and he was transformed before them. Moses and Elijah appeared and spoke with Jesus about his death. But they also talked about his resurrection and all the while his glory shone out from his body. Scarlet was so also evident on the day of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem shortly before his death. You remember that? No one could stop the praises for the king coming into his city. Even riding on a donkey, Jesus was declaring, here comes your king. What do the curtains themselves mean? The spotless white curtains with the cherubim embroidered into them don't tell us anything of the deity or the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in the articles of the furniture, the wood being his humanity and the gold his perfect deity. What we see in these curtains is the heavenly God-man in the blue. In the purple we see his royal kingship and position on the throne in heaven. And the scarlet represents all his sufferings and glory as he tabernacled among men. The fact that the curtains formed the inside of the holy place and the holy of holies teaches us that only those in the priestly family were able to appreciate all the perfections of God in his glory and majesty. And that all those outside just could not see anything of the beauty of who Jesus was while he tabernacled with men on earth. He had no beauty that we should see in him that we should desire him. Even his morality was lost in them. In fact, it only showed up their own morality and the ugliness of their enmity towards him. On the other hand, those who did see who he was, those who were called, in particular John was able to say, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
still the same today as it has been every day since he came to earth. Christ is still despised and rejected of men. The unsaved have no desire to find out or learn who he is and all his excellency. People are happy to call him a good man, the best man. They're happy to call him a good teacher, a wise man above every other man. They're content to say he did many good things and taught many things. But as far as being the Holy One of God, the blue, or the King of Kings who should be the King of their lives, the purple, they won't accept he suffered and died in their place, the scarlet. And they certainly won't accept his coming back again in victory and in power and in glory. And again we see the scarlet. And yet, setting all that aside, there's a body of believers who are called saints. We've been effectually called and have become a holy priesthood. And as we gaze into heaven and cast our eyes on the one who is the object of all the worship and praise of in the glory, we recognize him as our saviour and our king. Now in the tabernacle, we see types and shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who left the glory of heaven to come down and dwell with man for a while. Even as the tabernacle was used for 500 years, it was only a temporary dwelling. And while Jesus came to earth, it was only for a season. But remember, there's a permanent tabernacle in heaven where Jesus dwells now, and one day we will see him in all its glory. But the tabernacle pictures something else. The church. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being made, your two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now the temple in that verse is not the temple with all its porches and surrounding buildings. Rather, it speaks of the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. And today, God doesn't dwell in a physical structure, but in a spiritual body called the Christian, who's part of the body of the church. The tabernacle and the temple were set apart for God's service. And in like manner, the church is holy, consecrated, set apart for God's service. Today, the Holy Spirit dwells in each believer, forming us into his spiritual tabernacle, the nation of Israel never exp experienced this privilege. Only the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and stand for a short time in the presence of God, and that only once a year. The priests had certain duties to attend and were called unclean if they didn't do them according to God's instructions. They were put outside the camp for a season. The church is the same. We have a certain standard to attain and keep in our service to God. We have to walk circumspectly before the Lord. The best illustration of circumspectly, the best illustration of circumspectly I've heard is a cat walking over a backyard wall that has glass put into the concrete on the top. 
cut seldom cut themselves. You ever notice that? They walk across, they pick out their footsteps, and they seldom fall off. And they have four feet to be aware of. They pick their steps, making sure that they put them in the right place so they don't get it wrong. And in like manner, the church or the individual Christian who make up the church should be careful how we walk before the world and before God. Tabernacle is also the type of the individual Christian. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. As a sanctuary where the Holy Spirit dwells, believers are not at liberty to allow their bodies to be used outside of God's designed purpose for them. We're to live according to the pattern. So as you go home this evening, ask yourself the question, Does God see the pattern of the tabernacle in me?